Welcome back to another episode of the Four Inside Podcast, episode 25. I'm your host, Mike Ovi. I'm really excited for this week's episode. Uh, joining me is one of my old coaches and a guy who was very instrumental in my development as a young man. Uh, without further ado, James Kowalski. How are you doing, coach? Hey, Obi, I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I appreciate you spending some of your time today. I'm honored to be here, man. All right. So um, where I like to go with every guest and with every person I bring on here is just to kind of get some of their background and some of their upbringing. I feel like people's backgrounds kind of tells the story of who they are. So just talk about who James Koleski was before he got into football and coaching. Yeah, I I guess I would have a unique path into coaching. Um, I... I was not born in the United States. That's something kind of unique about me. I was, uh, I was actually born in Tokyo, Japan. Mm. And, uh, you know, my mom is a full-blooded Japanese woman. And uh, my dad is from Rockford, Illinois. And uh, after he finished high school, he ended up going into the military, uh, was in the Army, uh, was in the Vietnam War. And eventually, after that, had been, you know, uh, spent time in Japan, um, you know, uh, after, after his service. And that's where he met my mom. And so I was born in Tokyo. Uh, lived there for about a year and then moved to Houston. And uh, so that's kind of my background. Grew up, um, kind of grew up at first, maybe in like kind of, uh, I know we we were in A-Leaf and like um, maybe some parts of Spring Branch. We lived for a period of time. But then really, I, I remember once we got to kindergarten is when we moved to Fort Bend. I grew up in a subdivision called Barrington Place. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went to Barrington Place Elementary or Meadows Elementary. And then Barrington Place was built when I was a first grader and I was there my entire way. I went to Sugarland middle school, would have went to Kempner high school eventually. Um, but then in eighth grade and uh, we moved, we built, we built a new house in a new territory. And uh, so I ended up going to Garcia for a semester. And then I finished at Austin mm-hmm. high school in Fort Bend ISD. So that's kind of like my educational background. Um, I went on to Austin college, which is a, a small private liberal arts college in Sherman, Texas. And, uh, that was really because, you know, when I finished my high school football career, you know, I didn't, I didn't quite have the size and ability, you know, to, to become a scholarship player or anything like that, but I wanted to keep playing. It meant so much to me. And so I definitely wanted to go to the D3 route. And that was a place that I just really felt comfortable in, really fit in with the people there. And uh, so that's what I did. And um, that's, that's kind of like, as far as uh, my background, I, is there, is there more that you want me to go into or certain things you'd like me to uh, no, it's actually kind of crazy, though. Our backgrounds are kind of similar from the standpoint. I was born in Houston, but, you know, as far as uh, elementary is concerned, I went to three elementary schools. So it was a place called Silver Lake in Pearland. Then they built a school called Silver Crest. I went there through third grade. Then they built a third school called Massey Ranch. So just having to, you know, understand three different surroundings and three different schools, you know, they were all within, I think, 10 minutes of one another, but they all ran the schools differently. And then, right. um, you know, eighth grade, uh, I, I go through Pearland, you know, go through middle school, go through junior high there. And then ninth grade is when I moved to Bridgepoint, and then that's where I meet you. So from the standpoint of just, you know, having to understand, you know, different schools and things of that nature. And then also um, I went to Ridgepoint and uh, Fort Ben ISD. And then after college, um, I went to JUCO as well. I went to Wharton. And so, um, now I didn't play football, you know, football days were over, but just having to understand what JUCO life was like and everything. Um, I decided not to do the V3 uh, route because you know, looking back at it, you know, I was thinking about it, but you know, in the end, it, what it came down to was that I couldn't get a full ride. And I just felt like it wasn't worth the, 
investment, you know. So that's one yeah, that's that's different. Uh, yeah, myself and yourself, but it's it's crazy how much of a similarity we have in our backgrounds. Yeah, no, man, that's a good point you bring up. I know, I know, I, I really like the mission of your podcast, and I think it's a lot for younger, the younger generation. And so I can tell you, man, there's no right or wrong answer necessarily. Like I'm someone that did it, and I I don't come from a wealthy background. Uh, I can talk a little bit about my parents uh, and my dad. As I mentioned, he didn't kind of go the traditional college route, and uh, his, he spent his career as a correctional officer. So that's basically like a prison guard mm-hmm. um, with the state of Texas. And, you know, so not a super, not a very high-earning job or anything or, or a job that requires a college education or high requirements. But he did it, you know, faithfully for his entire career and retired just a couple years ago from that. And that's the thing, you know, is um, I, I heard your, your your podcast with Jay Fan. It was really good talking about – he talked about how, you know, you put your life out on social media and you're trying to put your best life out there and there's pressure to, to keep up with the Joneses or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So his career wasn't anything that I guess most people would be proud of. However, like when you look, when you look at it at the end, he may not have made a lot of money, but going through a job like that in retirement has incredible benefits. He's got a great pension and the, the medical, the medical coverage plan that he's on is phenomenal. I mean, he recently, he got colon cancer. And so he's, he's combating that. And it's just like, everything's paid for, for the most part, you know what I mean? And so like, you could have a super high paying job, but then there's just other benefits to where everything just kind of balances out in the end. So that's, that's one thing I would tell for a younger audience, like don't get caught up on necessarily like status and like, just the number, the amount on your paycheck. There's a lot of other things that factor in. You'll learn as you grow older and, and what you're looking for. Um, but that, that's, that's him, you know? So that was kind of his background. Um, my mom, uh, you know, was an immigrant and I guess myself kind of, I, never, I mean, I was an American citizen because of my dad, but I, I can't, I was born somewhere else, but she was definitely, her home was Japan. I mean, she's a full-blooded Japanese, you know, was, you know, she, she could speak English, but, you know, learning it and it improved and improved and improved. And I always like to tell the story that when she first got here, she was a uh, daycare attendant at kinder care where I was going to school, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, kind of from those kind of a humble beginnings of a career, again, just most people wouldn't see that as like, you know, a career goal per se. Uh, now she's a general manager of a travel agency extremely successful businesswoman uh, made a great career for herself. Uh, they come small company takes care of her. Um, you know, so that's, it's something to be proud of. I, I know you've kind of shared your father's experience on prior podcasts and Jay's experience. Um, you know, so that, that's, I have a similar kind of background of the, the immigrant kind of mentality and work ethic. And I guess the last thing I'll say, you brought up the college and the fear of taking on student loans. There is no right or wrong answer. I, I did it. I didn't come from a lot of money, so I didn't have, I had to take my loans and I paid them back, you know? So when I started working, um, after, after college, you know, I just, I lived at home the first couple of years, I saved money and I put a lot of it back towards my student loan and I paid it off pretty quickly. Cause I, I paid well over the minimum, mm. you know, which I would always teach my economics students. I can't remember if you're in that particular class or if you're in one of my other ones, but, uh, you know, I, that, that's what I, I, that's, what, that's how I did it. And so it was a good experience, but at the same time, I could tell you it was a big price tag and it wasn't necessarily necessary, right? I mean, it could have gone a different path, could have went somewhere, saved money, done other things. And I would say at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter where you go to school. And I, this may be kind of ironic coming from an educator, but I think it's all about like you taking advantage of opportunities and doing what's the best fit for you. So uh, don't get caught. If you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you're maybe uh you're embarrassed about what your college plans are, this, that, and the other, I, I really would 
you know, connect with me or something. I, I can help you, you know, cause it's, it's not, it's not necessary to stress over that. You know, you just, you need to make sure you have a plan, you're dedicated to it. And, um, lots of different backgrounds can become successful. There's lots of different paths to do that. No, I think uh, what you said is that everything, you just hit the nail on the head as far as everything I try to preach and try to embody with this platform and just the message I try to, you know, tell uh, young people, especially like you're saying, is that first off, there's no one way to be successful or one way to have a good life. It's, you can have it a multitude of different ways. You know, success is in the eyes of the, is in the eyes of the beholder, you know, and um, everybody's path is different. Everybody comes from different circumstances, different backgrounds. It's what you make of, you know, the life that you're given and what opportunities are given. You know, the people who actually fail, if failure is a word, or like if failure is a thing, is the people who don't take advantage of the potential that they were given. Or if they're given opportunities and they waste them, you know, through not making the right decisions. And even mm-hmm. with those, you know, you still, it's all about learning and about overcoming adversity, you know, um, and uh, always pushing towards something greater and something better for yourself. You know, you have to live with the mistakes and with the successes, with the triumphs and the tribulations that you endure and you encounter, you know, so it's your mindset. That's the main thing. That's the biggest tool that anybody can have. Um, and just, uh, you know, the whole education route, again, it is what you choose to get into. Just understand what you're getting into is the main thing I would tell anybody is that understand what loans are, understand how to pay it yeah. back. You know, yeah. if, um, that's not something you want to do. Well, then look at alternative routes and don't be afraid or don't fall into the, oh, it doesn't look a certain way. There are many people who have done every single pathway. It's just a matter of do you finish the job? Do you finish the mission? You know, that's the main thing you have to take away from it all. But um, continuing on, you know, you talked about how your dad was a, a correctional officer. Your mom is Japanese. And so talk about what it was like. I, I imagine, you know, it's a lot of discipline in the household. And uh, so talk about what that was like. Yeah, from, mostly from my mom, on my mom's side. You know, uh, my, my dad was a little more kind of just easygoing type personality. But my mom, um, you know, I think Jay kind of alluded to this maybe a little bit, but I, I, not a lot of cultures feel this way. But especially in the Asian culture, there's kind of a big uh, push on education, mm-hmm. you know, respect for the teachers, you know, your sensei and things of that nature. So I, I was uh, kind of brought up that way. Um, and so I liked school. I mean, I was someone that, that enjoyed going to school. I enjoyed learning. Um, and I was kind of, it was kind of an expectation, you know, to, to try to do well. I mean, it, she wasn't the strictest. I don't want to paint it the wrong way, but she definitely always wanted to push me to, to you know, to, to achieve. But I mean, I guess as I got older and older, she kind of let me do my thing. And I, I typically brought home good grades. So I, I had a fair amount of freedom mm-hmm. as a high school student. I never I didn't get into trouble or anything. I was pretty straight laced. So uh, they, they trusted me. Um, so, yeah, uh, that, that, that background w- was unique, though. But I mean, it, it is unique being, um, you know, a lot of uh, and you may want to talk about this on your podcast a little bit. But I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, racial justice issues right now. And so, you know, it's being a biracial a product of biracial marriage, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's unique. It's interesting. And I, I remember uh, certain things that I, I can get into if you want to, or, or I don't know if it's, if you want to talk more professionally, but you know, you just feel different whenever you're going to school and like your mom doesn't look like everybody else's mom, you know what I mean? And some things like that, but th- those are some, some unique experiences that, that molded me. And I think just maybe hopefully that along with playing football and being in a locker room with my brothers from all different backgrounds, that kind of makes you more tolerant, I think, and more just comfortable uh, around different groups of people. So I'm happy for that. But like I said, 
quick story. I don't want to go too off the rails. Uh, I could talk to you all day. Obi, you know that, but I remember being young and like kids asking me, you know, Jimmy, why, why is your mom Chinese? Mm. You know? And cause you know, I, don't, I may not, you may not guess that by looking at me. And of course it's Japanese, but you know, they, the kids don't know. And I, I remember feeling embarrassed a little bit yeah. at, at that age, you know, and it's kind of like, it's kind of embarrassing. Like, oh, you know, I just wish my mom was like everybody else or whatever. Cause you just want to fit in when you're young, you know? Mm-hmm. So of course now I don't feel that way, but I can understand, you know, if, if you're ever struggling with that kind of stuff about feeling different or not fitting in, everybody goes through that. When you go through those kinds of issues all the time, you're, you typically are probably going to think you're the only one experiencing that. That's no true. one else is going through it, but that's not true. And uh, I highly recommend finding someone that's a trusted, you know, source of yours to go. If you're having problems, talk about it. That's another big thing now is like mental health, right? A lot of athletes, Dak Prescott recently comes to mind or Kevin Love. Like, I think we, we in our country, we've had a lot of gender roles where like, you know, you're supposed to be a man and be tough, you know? And so uh, now, or women are supposed to be subservient and now women are showing they can achieve anything, you know, and men are supposed to taught to kind of uh, bottle it in and just be tough. And now you have these, these physical, you know, specimens of pro athletes saying like, Hey, they struggle with it too. So that's my point to anybody listening. You know, if you are feeling down by any type of issue, just, just go talk to somebody, man. It, it is cathartic. I love it. Anytime, you know, just to visit with somebody and share. And um, I would highly recommend that. Don't, don't go through it alone. You're not alone. There's, there's definitely help out there. And everybody's kind of getting a gauge for why I brought you on here. Like literally everything you're saying, I'm just like, thank you. Like, because it's everything <laughs> that I've ever tried to preach, ever tried to think about or talk about. I mean, when I was in high school and you used to coach me, I mean, you used to always talk about how I was a talker and I, I used to love just interacting with people. And I'm still like that. Now I'm just trying to use this uh, medium to be able to expand my reach and to get a hold of more people because you never know who needs it. And, um, yeah you know, who's in need of just help and uh, they don't know where to find it or they're afraid to find it. They're afraid right. to look for They're it. embarrassed. Yes. I remember absolutely. being embarrassed. I, I, you know, like I said, and it, there's other things like I, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but like growing up, things were not always peachy for me with my parents' relationship. I mean, it was, absolutely. it was bad. It was ugly. It was not something a child should have to be exposed to, you know, and you just, you feel embarrassed. You think you're the only one going through that, you know, and it's, that's not the case. And so that's, that's what I would preach to everybody. Um, well, you're doing a great job trying to help people. That's why I'm honored that you asked, you thought of me and you asked me on here, but I, I can tell a quick Obi story if you want for the audience. Absolutely. I remember the first time I met you, if I remember correctly, it was like, it was after some kind of event. I remember we were, we were late in the field house and like, maybe we had like spaghetti dinner or something. We had been some kind of event early on in the season. I just remember that. And I just remember you were kind of like the last kid there, yeah. you know, uh, waiting for your ride or whatever. And you just, you just hung out kind of by the coach's office door and you just kind of stayed and started talking to us. And I just remember <laughs> thinking, like, that's why I say you're a talker. I was like, man, this is a kid that like loves his coaches. You know, he likes to talk and he's like, really, I could tell you, you had a connection to, to coaches and you really looked up to him. So I, I instantly made a good impression. I guess you were a freshman at that time, you know? So, um, yeah, you're right. I, I pegged you as a talker right from that first time. Well, okay. So, um, that was, uh, what happened was I was a freshman at the time and that was after our end of season banquet. And, um, you know, both of my parents worked, um, yeah. you know, and they worked long hours. And so it was kind of just, I always understood that it was a matter of when they were able to come get me. Sure. That was when they were going to arrive. And that was just my understanding of life at the time. I, I wasn't one to complain about anything. You know, you know that me playing for you. And so, um, I was just in the field house and I was just like, huh, 
these coaches are talking. Okay, let me go see. Uh, and I didn't know anybody either. So I'm like, okay, let me at least try to get to know these people. Let me get a gauge for them. Are they going to be personable coaches? Or are they going to be the type where I just play for them? Because I, I played for both. And um, also, I knew it was you and Coach Ruthard, and you guys kind of had a you know a little <laughs> bromance going on. And uh, <laughs> oh, boy, you know, man. Absolutely. And, uh, and Best man at my wedding. <laughs> all right, hey, you see what yeah. I'm saying? So, and I just, um, yeah, we were just propping it up. And the next thing you know, it's like, it's like been an hour and then like my parents showed them and you're just like, bro, well, uh, you're a talker, but I like you. And I was like, yeah, that was the beginning of me. Hey, you know what though? That, that says a lot about, I guess for a 14 or 15 year old kid to be comfortable enough to like go have adult conversation. I think it's unusual. I think it's, it's uh, not unusual is the wrong word. Maybe that sounds negative, but it's, it's enviable. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think that's important. You know, if, if you do want to get into a career in sales or something of that nature where you're dealing with people, you have to have that ability to connect easily with people. And I thought you were fearless in that sense. Like, I think a lot of kids would not be comfortable to they would just go sit on, and look at their phone in the corner and wait for their ride. You know what I mean? So uh, that's good, man. That, that, that was a that was an impressive. I was impressed. Instantly, I was impressed by your character. And I was like, okay, I want to know more about this guy. Let's see, you know, what his future holds for the, for the team. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, again, you know, my whole thing has always been that, you know, you should never judge anybody. And, um, you know, you should always try to figure out what type of person you're dealing with by interacting with them, not just by looking at them. Like, I could have easily been like, oh, that, that guy looks a little standoffish. And I think people go through this um, generally on the regular. Like, they don't look like I do, so therefore I'm going to have a certain um, – prejudice against them i mean mm -hmm. that's literally what we deal with with the social um the socialism we go through people don't look the same so therefore people are being told like oh this you know african-american person acts a certain way and then they see them in the media and so then that's your um that's your reality that's your depiction of them rather than getting to know the person i'm just going to say ah eh, you look a certain way therefore i think i know you but i don't Right. right. So uh, that was just um, one thing I always tried to live by is that don't judge a book by its cover, essentially. And, um, you know, if a person makes a bad first impression, OK, you just put them you just kind of keep your distance. And then, you know, you see if they actually are um, better than they portray themselves to be initially. Mm -hmm. But I'm um, going on um, now. You finish college and you get into coaching, you get into coaching football. So talk about what it was. What made you want to get into coaching football? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I guess you know, I, I could have covered that, I guess, in my background, but I'm glad you're bringing it up now because uh, I, I knew since I was a seventh grader. Oh, wow. Um, seventh grade is when I decided I wanted to be a high school head football coach, basically, <laughs> at some point in my life. Um, I, I was very obese as a child. Um, that's part of the thing of like sometimes maybe like when – when parents are struggling and grinding and try to like make your life better when you're starting in a new country. And like I said, my dad, my dad was an American, but came from a poor, uh, a Polish um, ancestry in Illinois. And so he, he not a not a four-year college guy. So, I mean, we were not very wealthy, you know what I mean? And so I think parents want to work hard to and want to give you more, you know, in a sense. So I was allowed to eat whatever I wanted. For the most part. And my parents were working all the time. So a lot of time I was alone. You know, and so I just had full access. I just remember I would just crush Coca-Colas and Cheetos. Like that was my diet. You know what I mean? And bologna sandwiches. And uh, I was a big kid, you know, so I just kind of, oh, but I was into sports. I was, I, and like I said, I grew up in one place from K through eighth grade. And so I um, wasn't, I wouldn't say I was popular, but I was well-liked. I, I had my friends for a long time and I was into sports. And so I instantly, I, I wanted to play football. 
Yep. You know, I just always wanted to play football. My mom wouldn't let me do it in Pee Wee because, you know, being from another country, maybe she didn't quite understand it so much. And, and those are legitimate concerns about the safety of football. That's another issue that's coming up now, right? So um, she just wouldn't let me do it. And I begged and begged and begged. And finally, at seventh grade, I was allowed to do it. But, you know, being a big guy, it I was put onto the offensive line, you know. And if you know me now, I, I guess you wouldn't look at me and peg offensive linemen. But if you saw me in seventh grade, you definitely would say I was an offensive lineman. So. <laughs> That's what happened is, is throughout school, uh, I, I think football is great, though. Behind, besides the brotherhood and everything that I wanted, like, it also kind of changed my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I, I, I knew I was overweight and out of shape. And so that, that continued on all the way into my seventh, eighth, and freshman year. I was still the same. I remember I was a five foot 11, 220-pound freshman, I believe. Uh, at Austin High School, not 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 a good composition, not strong, not fast, you know, just big. And uh, at that summer, going into my sophomore year, I just decided, like, I'm done doing this. I I need to get into shape so I can be, I can move up in the program. And so I did a strict, I call it like a Spartan like regimen. Mm. I complete, I just comp- 100% elimination of fried foods, soda, sweets, chips. 100% eliminated, ate a salad at every meal, you know, and I went, I ran a mile every day in addition to the workout, you know, that I was doing with it, you know, for uh, my other, you know, just the football workout for the summer. Mm-hmm. I'd run a mile on top of it every single day. Wow. And I came back for sophomore year and I was 6'1, 188. You know what I mean? So I kind of was getting more into like my present like frame, you know what I mean? But then as, as time went on, I was able to finish at like 6'1", 225 as I you know, was able to pack on muscle going through off seasons and whatnot. So, um, and growing, um, but yeah, so football just was great, man. So I loved it. Also, whenever I was, um, when we moved to new territory, our house is still being built, so, but we had already sold our old house. So we lived in an apartment right across street from Mercer stadium. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is, there's that apartment. I don't know what it's called, but it's right across from Mercer and first colony mall. It's an older apartment. Like that's where we lived. Wow. for quite a bit of time while our house was being, and that was in the fall as our house was being completed. And so I would walk to Mercer stadium Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday uh, afternoon. That's, that was the schedule at that time. Mm-hmm. There was always a Thursday night game, a Friday night game and a Saturday two o'clock kickoff. I went to every single one of them. <laughs> that, that's what I did every single weekend. Yeah. And it like I said, it was a walk across the street and that's where I really started falling in love with football. I mean, I, Remember, I'd buy, I had the same routine. I'd buy the game program. I would buy like a Mr. Pib and I'd buy nachos. <laughs> that was, I, time. I sat in the same seat. Um, I sat in the same seat on the home side, uh, kind of like on the South end of it. I had my spot where I sat every single time and it was cool. And I kind of sat in the same area where I could see coaches would come to scout and they, they seemed to like to sit in the same area. So I could see them. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, those are the high school coaches. And I just fell in love with the whole atmosphere and I was hooked. Mm-hmm. So at that, at that point I was completely hooked and I knew it's what I wanted to do. It's crazy that you were able to understand that at such a young age too. I think most people go through their whole lives and not really understand what they were destined to be. They just go yeah. and they try a whole bunch of different professions, but it's also just, your story kind of told you what you were going to do for you. I mean, from the standpoint, you knew, okay, I got into football, you got into football, you were a big kid as you alluded to, and you just had to develop a regimen and develop a habit. And those habits helped you improve yourself. And then from improving yourself, you were able to find what you love to do, which was yeah. football. Um, okay, Obi, one other thing that I want to, I want to mention, and again, for people listening, like uh, my parents are still married after 
you know, 40 years or so, about 40 years of marriage, but it was not a good marriage. I mean, it was very dysfunctional. Um, not necessarily like I was saying like physical abuse, but like a stream verbal abuse, extreme screaming, like constantly. And it was really rough. And so I think that that's what I love about football too, is it gave me normalcy. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of, I, I really didn't have a good relationship with my dad, especially at the time I kind of gravitated towards my mom's side, you know, as a kid, um, which we've since reconciled. That's another thing I want to give people hope to. If you do, if you are struggling with relationship with your parents as a child, those things do can improve, you know, if, if both sides are willing to come to the table. But um, yeah, I mean, it was awful. And the football gave me normalcy. It gave me adult male role models to look up to. And I, Kind of like how you were. I mean, I was the exact same way. Like, I adored my coaches. Right. Like Coach Kitterman is by far, you know, I had several good ones, but Coach Kitterman is my, was my coach, yeah. you know, and I just loved and I just thought he was a Superman. You know what I mean? And he was, he had a wife and kids and he treated them right. And he was, he'd hug on me and tell me he loved me. And, you know, that was stuff that I didn't get at home, right. you know? And so that was just, that was so cool to me and so empowering was just this coach making me think I could do anything. Right. You know, I wasn't a big offensive lineman. I, I, my junior year, I was a 195-pound offensive lineman starting, yeah. you know, got an honorable mention all-district nod and first team as a senior at 220, you know. So I wasn't a big guy, but I thought I, I, thought I could do it. I thought I could block anybody. Right. You know what I mean? And that was because of coach and it's good coaching, you know. So uh, that's another thing. Just for kids out there or anyone who's listening, if you're struggling with other things, that's, that's what extra, extracurriculars give you, not just sports, but a band or anything. Mm-hmm. Just that normalcy of what it should look like, and it makes you feel more confident, more powerful, shows you, uh, you know, what things should look like, and so then you can hopefully maybe bring about change slowly in your personal life too if you have issues there. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, so I'll go ahead and uh, give you a bit of my story. I never really told you this, but um, it's, again, almost like looking in the mirror, like talking to you right now, because like I got into football mostly because I was overweight. I would say because I was big, hefty kid. I mean, I remember I think at seven years old, I was already 132. So, I mean, imagine that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was getting bullied at home as well as in school, you know, oh, big kid, mm-hmm. fat kid. And I was only overweight one in my family, really. Yeah. And then, um, you know, my brother played football first. So that's what got me into it. My brother played it at a, you know, Parallel high school, which is, you know, emerging and good program at the time. And so seeing them win all the time, seeing how he, he was able to change his body. Cause he was a slim kid who got big. I was a big kid who was trying to get slim, but you know, it was still a matter of, we had the game to kind of, uh, have us have that camaraderie and things of that nature. And so then I was like, mom, I want to do it. My mom was like, no. And so I was like, come on, please. And had to convince her. And finally, um, I played for this one team called South Main Mustangs. Uh, this is so I'm 11 years old at the time. Complete like military. There was they were all African Americans except for one kid out of all four teams. And this was no. I'm not patting you on the back. I'm not doing nothing. If you cry, if you complain, you're gonna run laps. And if you continue to complain, then you're going to roll for the rest of practice. And they dared you to quit. Like, it was like, look, we already got your money. You can either play or you can get out of here. So, again, the initial coaching experience, that's why I said I was trying to get a gauge for, okay, am I going to have to be just a soldier or am I actually going to be able to have a connection with these guys, right? So that first uh, experiment fails because, first off, I had to play with older guys at the time. So, like, I was 11, but I had to play with 13-year-olds because I was too heavy, right? my mom was like, nope, I'm not doing it. So she, she took me out. And then she tries it again, luckily. Um, and this time I played for this team in Pearland. Uh, we had 16 players. 
And um, I almost didn't make the cut. So they, their max weight that they allowed at that time was 160 pounds. I was 162.1, and I had to drop two pounds of weight before I could play. Like, literally, they're weighing you in, and they're like, you have yeah. to make this weight or you can't play. So I literally had to go run off in my helmet and in my uh, pads. I had to go run off the two pounds, and I did it. And so then with that team, it was a completely different. Uh, the head coach uh, that of that team was Coach Martinez. What I saw with him was he had a son who had anger problems. Uh, I mean, he acknowledged it, and you could kind of see them blow up. And the thing was, he never said, oh, F him, you know, get away from me. He loved him even harder. You know, he was even tougher on him. And then with me, it's kind of the same confidence that you that your coach is still in you. It was like, look, you can do anything you want. You know, you, like, we love you. We love having you here. I'm going to deem you a leader, blah, 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 blah. And these are your guys. You have to, you know, lead them. So that's where the whole leadership ability and, um, you know, being able to talk to different people and being able to interact with guys, that's where that kind of developed was a coach empowering me to do so, as well as the rest of the staff. And um, just with that, that was my first um, instance of like, okay, football is like actually providing a source of good. Cause I never really felt like I was a big guy, like a, or a fat guy. I just was like, I play football and I'm actually getting in shape now. So now it's starting to turn around. And then it's crazy. You, you mentioned your Spartan like diet. Yeah. I told you this story about my junior year where I went through some adversity and I was really trying to, figure out the whole body composition thing. So I went through, I just, I didn't even call it anything. If anything, you know, Kobe Bryant was a big influence for me at the time. And that was just, it was just about a mama locking, like, okay, I'm really going to buy into turning my life around, turning this body around and really seeing what I can do with this clay. And so what I did was, yeah, no fried foods, not even on weekends, um, no soda. I wouldn't even drink juice. But my food regimen was, I mean, it was crazy. I did the same thing. I never wavered off of one day. I would yep. work out twice a day. And, like, you would see me, it, it'd be, like, I literally remember y'all having to kick us out. Like, bro, get out of here. We're trying to go home. And, you know, it's, it's just <laughs> yeah. crazy seeing our, our parallels. And, yeah. you know, my development as far as loving the game of football, really, before that offseason, I, I think football was just an outlet. It really wasn't something I loved. It was something I liked because it, it helped me get away from reality, you know. And then in watching it and watching film and watching myself get better, that's where the, the obsession with football sort of came. So it's, just, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, first off, people's stories that are much like yours. It's part of the reason why I, I do this is to see, like, bro, there's always somebody out there who's going through the same thing or something like what you're going right. through, you know. So finally, you get your first coaching experience. Now, I believe you mentioned it was at Clements High School. How old were you, and what what led to that opportunity? Um, I guess I was probably twenty two or twenty three. Mm. Uh, I don't I don't remember exactly. So somewhere in that range, uh, maybe twenty two. Um, and it was uh, actually Mr. Moran was the principal at the time at Clements, and he was an assistant principal at Austin. Mm -hmm. um, and so where I went to high school, he remembered me. So I, I just, I, you know, I was just looking fresh out of college, looking for a job. And I emailed, I emailed him and he, he called me right back. Mm. And, that, and that's the kind of guy that he was, you know, and he was interested and we interviewed and it went well and I got the job. Wow. And um, he's now the superintendent at Waller, you know, wow. it's a great community yeah. and they do a great job. And it just shows like his, I'm not surprised he made it to the highest of his profession 
Yeah. Stuff like that, you know, getting back to a kid, you know, it's, it's this kind of person that he is, but um, yeah. So it, Clements was great. I was familiar with it. I mean, it's really kind of a neighboring attendance boundary to where I grew up at Austin. So I was pretty familiar with it and they were kind of like having a Renaissance, you know, where Clements had been traditionally they, they kind of they were one of the newer schools. I, I mean, I know Willowridge is the oldest, uh, and then oh no, excuse me, Dulles is the oldest. Then it went Willowridge, and then maybe I think Clements was third, yeah. then Elkins and Kempner. I think that's kind of the history of Fort Ben ISD. And so, like many new schools, like Ridgepoint, like yeah. Travis, like Hightower, Marshall, Marshall, all of them have had success as soon as they open, right? Yes. And it was the same thing for Clements; had a lot of success, but then as they when they open Elkins. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it happens, then there's a decline, right? As Elkins takes their kids go to another school, right. to spread them out. That's what yeah. So even when I was in high school, Clements was one was not a a very uh, as successful as a team as they were. Like maybe when like Coach Darnell, you know, went to was a student and a star player for Clements. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I remember my senior year, my uh, my last game, us and Clements played for last place. Mm. it was it was like the last, you know yeah. it was the last place game basically we were the two last place teams and we happened to play each other yeah. and it went to triple overtime <laughs> and we won but that was just kind of funny you know this the two worst teams in the district we just duked it out because for us it was like the super bowl you know we won uh, in triple overtime on a fullback dive right behind me and uh, i remember getting dogpiled actually you know that, that's how we scored and then we had to get a stop right which we did get the stop and that won the game and we dogpiled on the 50-yard line. It was a great moment. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so, but Columbus was trending back up, you know. Um, so they had been kind of like a last-place team for a while, but then they got a new coach named Coach Hume, who's now the head coach at Waco Midway, which is a top-flight program. And they were – you could just see it, you know. Maybe they were like 2-8, and eight, and then they're like 4-6, and six, and then 6-4. and four. You know, you could kind of see that trajectory going. Um, they made it to the playoffs the year before I came. They had a shootout with Brazoswood. It's kind of part of town. Maybe you're yeah, from. Uh, Freeport. My dad worked out there. My brother yeah. played against them numerously, so I'm familiar with Brazoswood. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were really good at the time, and Clemens had a shootout with them and, and came up short. Um, our quarterback was a sophomore at the time, a guy many people have heard of. It was Derek Carr. You know? Oh, wow. Derek Carr was our quarterback, right? The, the Raiders' present-day quarterback. And his brother, of course, was David Carr, who was a, a number one overall pick with the Texans at the time, right? So the family had followed David and was living here in, in Sugarland, a Sweetwater area. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we had Derek. Mm-hmm. And so as a sophomore, he, you know, they almost led him to a playoff win. And so when I got there my first year, he was a junior. And not just it wasn't just a Derek Carr show. It was just a – the grade above him was just a phenomenal – class kind of like you guys were uh in 2015 um it was just loaded top to bottom and not with like a ton of d1 kids i think we had a safety go to ball state we had a tight end go to tcu and that was it as far as d1 guys and those guys didn't ever like they didn't like end up becoming like starters of those places so it's not like we had Alabama, Oklahoma, LSU or anything. You know what I mean? Michigan, Ohio State. Um, But we had a bunch of great football players. You know what I mean? And they were just really – it was just – it was eerily like Ridgepoint your senior year. You know, we had just a bunch of just solid high school football players. And we had a couple college-level guys sprinkled here and there. Not that much, not high-level college, but it was just the perfect storm. And we went 10-0, you know. But it was funny, though. The thing is, if you look back at those scores – I challenge you to do that sometimes because I know you're a kind of a stat head, you know, of stats and stuff. Look at the scores. 
for a 10 and 0 team, we really didn't blow people out. Yeah. It was a ton of close games. And there, I think the reason for that was we weren't overly like super physically gifted, but we executed so well. We, we didn't have the ability to overwhelm people and win by huge margins, but we would win a bunch of close games and we just did everything right. Yeah. Those kids did everything right. And the coaches, we co- great coaching staff. So that, that's kind of how it happened, man. It was a great run, 10 and 0, one district, several close calls along the way, Hightower, Elkins, Marshall, all nail biters. Um, went to the playoffs, beat Clear Brook in the first game, fairly easy. I was not there because I was out scouting a different opponent, mm-hmm. um, you know, for our, our second round matchup. And then in the, uh, the second round, we beat, oh, we beat Beaumont Westbrook. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had Christine Michael, who went to AM and was an yeah. NFL player. And then the third round was pretty cool. I, I told this story um, recently that we, we played Andrew Luck. And the yeah, Stratford Spartans. Yes. Yeah. So it, it was Andrew Luck and Derek Carr squaring off in that game. So two future first round draft going at it. And we, we got the best of them, barely. Both the Westbrook and Stratford games are both extremely close. So we're now we're 13 and 0. Again, this is for a school that a couple years ago was like two and eight. You know what I mean? So this is like incredible amount of success. And, uh, and then we came up across Katie. And that was the end of it. You know, it wasn't Andy Dalton. Andy Andy Dalton, I think, had just finished prior to that as Bo Levi Mitchell. Yeah, I was say I was like, back for the Calgary Stampeders now, but um, it, yeah, it, they 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 thumped us pretty good. That there was no doubt in that game, and that was the end of the run. But yes, that 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 was my experience at Clements. I, I did stay for uh, two more seasons yeah. and loved it. Just it was a great place, great leadership, great kids. Hundred percent loved it. Okay, so then. This is crazy just going through that and you getting to play all these guys and all these names where it's like at the time you, 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 you're not knowing that these guys are going to end up in the NFL and it's like, well, that, guy, right. made it, that guy made it, that guy made it, that guy, crazy. Um, so then you – I can tell you this, though, for the listeners, man, Derek Carr was a great kid. Really? Like I always wonder that when you, you see guys in the pros, like I wonder – I always like to know if someone that knew them or knows them personally or knew them as a high school student, like what were they like, you know? And yeah. He was Absolutely. awesome. He was just great, very mature, but very respectful, very humble. Um, and he, I was a first-year coach, man. He would – so, I mean, on, and he was, like, you know, starting quarterback. He would come talk to me all the time, you know, and he was a super nice kid. And I remember one, one little story I remember a conversation I had with him was at the time, this was still, like, when spread offense were becoming kind of en vogue. Like, yeah. not everybody did spread back then like it is now. And Elkins was a school that kind of pioneered the spread – and so, and also back then, because nobody, people weren't as used to it, it had an, an advantage of people didn't really know how to defend it. Defenses were maybe still geared to stop the run. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, the Elkins quarterbacks were just putting up extreme numbers. So was Dulles. Dulles was another team that went spread early. Yeah. I, I remember asking, I remember I asked Derek, because we, we ran the pro, we ran a pro style of offense, I formation. Yes. And I asked Derek, I said, hey man, do you ever, man, you're, you're so talented. Do you ever wish you could play in, in a spread so you could have those same kind of numbers like the Elkins quarterback has? And he said, not at all. My goal is the NFL, coach. Like, I want to play in an NFL-style offense. And I, I'm that, that's the first time, like, I mean, of course, his brother was an NFL player, so I kind of had – but when, when he told me that, I was like, that kind of vision, I was like, man, this guy might make it. You know what I mean? And uh, he said that's what, that's what he wanted was to, was to play that style of offense. Yeah. And that, that world, that, that uh, just ahead of his time in that worldview of, like, I don't care what these guys are doing now. I'm not trying to get on their level. I'm trying to – you know, his goal wasn't putting up stats just to make it to the NFL. <laughs> exactly. Because in the end, if you can play, you're going to make it somewhere. You know what I'm right. saying? They'll find you, you know, but 
if you're a guy who, oh, I'm just going to get by with stats now, it's almost like not cheating, but like you're just doing the bare minimum, but eventually you get exposed if you don't ever really truly work on your game and if you don't really ever right. maximize your abilities or what you're supposed to have to get and play at that level, you'll, you'll be exposed one way or another. So you, you, play, you, you coach two more years at Clements and then all of a sudden Ridgepoint High School is created and you decide to come over to Ridgepoint. What led to that decision and how was it different, at least from the beginning? Like, what did you notice that was different? Okay, yeah. So the, I was when I was at Clements, I was in a tea shack, you know, so like a portable building outside of the school because it's overcrowded school. And uh, the guy next, and this was the fate, I guess. The guy next door to me was a guy named Brett Sniffin, you know. So she, all you Panther fans know well, you know. So <laughs> he he was kind of my mentor in that first year. We'd stand outside between passing periods and talk, and uh, he was great. I mean, he really took an interest in me and helped me develop as a young coach and taught me a lot of things. Yeah. Um, even simple things that you just, I guess when you're young, you don't realize. I'll never forget. We were playing. Uh, I was, I coached the freshman. I was the offensive coordinator for the freshman B team mm-hmm. my first year. And uh, I think we were playing Travis. And um, well, I don't remember which, I, met a bit, I don't remember who it was, but they were just, they played a three, four defense. I think it was Travis. And they would just blitz both inside linebackers. Yeah. And I was just trying to run our kind of complement of plays like ISO and lead like inside plays. Yeah. And they were just blowing us up. You know, and uh, at the time, I just, you, you're a brand new coach. You're just trying to do kind of like what, you know, and co- I just, I remember how simple it was. He just said, just, just run pitch, <laughs> you know, and, and you know what? And that, if they're just going to send the guys in the middle, I'm just going to the outside. And then, man, it was just so simple. But he was just, that's the kind of thing he would notice as this young coach is, you know, first time calling, you know, calling plays right at the very beginning there. And uh, that, that, I just remember that story and him taking the time to, to help me with that. And also just as a, as a next door neighbor, uh, he was great. And, you know, and I liked him. And, you know, as time went on, he ended up getting the job at Ridgepoint when it opened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I-, I was shocked. He asked me to come, you oh. know, he asked me to come to be the, the defensive coordinator, you know, and I was still pretty young I- and I was coming from the offensive side of the ball, you know, so I didn't, I didn't have a ton of experience. Um, that was a lot of fate too. Yes. You know, th- there were things involved, like, uh, there was a redu- getting into a lot of details, but basically like there was a reduction in force that year. So basically the schools were having like some budget problems. Mm-hmm. And so some of the guys, uh, he just had, a, he didn't have as quite as much freedom as maybe he normally would have to hire his staff. Mm-hmm. There were certain restrictions and like, I had the right, a lot of different things. Like I had the right teaching field that they needed. And so he just took a huge chance on me, honestly, you know, for all those reasons, like I was someone that he could bring and it, I definitely was not qualified at the time, but he saw a, a little glimmer of talent and hope, I guess. And he told me, he said, hey, DeCovo, you know, we, the first two years are going to be sub-varsity. I'll teach you. And I, I believed him and I trusted him. He, I knew he'd get me ready to go. And uh, I'm not saying I was ready for the first varsity year because I continued to grow. You know, I would say I wasn't a great defensive or I don't want to say I was a great defensive coordinator, but I wasn't ready to do justice to the talent you guys brought to the table until probably your junior year was when I, I finally developed enough to figure out what the direction was of the defense, and we started installing it, and it started getting really good. But that's how it happened, man. So I, I was honored that he thought of me like that, and I was definitely down for him, you know, because he was a, uh, someone I looked up to a lot and respected. So I, I, was, I definitely I wanted to go. As much as I like Clements, I wanted to, to take that next step in my career. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I remember just some of the stories you used to tell us, like one of the main things I'll never forget you saying specifically was, look – you guys, the one advantage that you guys have with me as your coach is that I'm young 
and I have the energy to coach you guys. But I'm also a student just like you guys, and I'm learning on the job, and I'm trying to develop right. and get better. So with you having that level of self-awareness in my eyes, I was like, okay, I can, I can play for that. I can play for that guy because yeah, he's learning, and he's willing to adapt and not be rigid because there are a lot of coaches and a lot of people – this kind of is a problem that you see in professional sports even now is that the coach who's stuck in his ways and won't adapt and then he ends up getting faded out right and your sort of moldability to say okay let me learn on the job okay this isn't working okay let me try to either improve at this or calling a game or simplifying the scheme or you know going to clinics which is something me and you talked about like yeah to want to learn and to want to get better was something that I was like okay I could always respect that and um, I think it's a trust thing, Obi. You know, I think kids are excellent at reading through BS, you know, and I think I think as a, another advice I'd give people is it's OK to you can show weakness at times. You can show that you need growth. Like I think sometimes some coaches are so, so fixated on, on making sure that they're the smartest guy in the room and proving that. And I just don't think that's always beneficial, man. My personal opinion, you know, I think me being very open and transparent with my, my players and building that kind of relationship, I think it built a level of trust and a level of feeling like we were all in it together, you know? And uh, I think that helped. I think, I think that is one of the, I, I was not the most knowledgeable coach ever. I'm not going to say I was the best coach, but I think I did have certain strengths that I'm proud of. And I think that's the best way is be realistic. When you assess yourself, I have my weaknesses that I acknowledge publicly and openly um, that I wanted to improve on, which I, I did work hard on, but also like, uh, I think a strength, you, you want to acknowledge your strengths too. I mean, I listen to your, your podcast, Jay fan. He is just so humble. Yeah. You could tell it, it physically pained him for you to give him compliments. Like he was in yes. pain, not able to respond. You know what I mean? But like, I don't think I would, I would tell Jay, like Jay, you know, like be proud of what your strengths are too. And that's what I tell all, all you, anyone listening, like know your strengths and be confident in them. And for me, I think, I think a strength was, I was able to get players to play harder than I think that they would normally play given their normal state. You yeah. know, if just left in a normal state, normal situation, normal coaching, I think I was able to find a way to get a little bit more out of them, whether it's in the training in the off season or the physical play on the field or the intention in the film study. Um, and I think that comes through mutual trust and admiration because that's how I was. Mm -hmm. I wanted to please coach Kitterman. I would do anything to have coach Kitterman or coach Brantley, another coach, you know, as a head coach at Elkins, he was my track coach. Like I would do anything. I would give anything to have them tell me that I was doing a good job. Right. You know what I mean? And so that's what I think that if you can build that, if you can get that in your kids, like they, they want, like they're looking for that positive affirmation. Yes. I think you can get them to, to play harder. And uh, that's something I was proud of uh, for, for sure. in the coaching career. Yeah. I can, I, I can honestly say like, you know, with, you just giving us and being transparent with us and you kind of exuding that humbleness, it was like, we'll run through a wall for this guy. You know what I'm saying? And there's no ifs and the bus about it. And, um, you know, again, it's that when you would correct us, it's not like you're correcting us to insult us. It's, a, you know, shameless. It's like, look, you need to get better and I'm going to call you out on it. You used to always tell us, like, look, when I punish you guys, it's not to punish you like you guys are terrible people. It's just – we have to fix it and we have to be better. And understanding that is, okay, well, I'm going to improve because we need to, you know, this guy trusts me. He's putting his trust into me to be a better player. So I have to now, you know, show by example and actually put everything into practice. And, yeah, definitely. I think um, our defense for sure played much harder for you. Um, and just, just because it was like this dude is putting so much work to 
be better at coaching us. We need to be better as players. We need to be better as people. We need to hold ourselves accountable. And I think that kind of evolved, especially the more we got to know you, the more time we spent, the more we learned. It was like, yeah, for sure. We we owe it to this guy to be able to execute for him. You know what I'm saying? To make him be right whenever he calls his plays. You know, like you used to talk about that, like how when I was a junior and we played Stratford, you really feel like, you know, I put Steve Ann and Jay Fan used to tell me it was like I put them in the wrong situation and I'm hard to so forth. So then yeah. next year yeah. you, you correct it or you do what you felt correct the problem and then we execute and that made you proud of yourself and of us and it made us proud knowing that look, we were able to prove this guy right. You know? So it's that mutual trust and that mutual yeah. kind of uh adoration for both the you know, both the players and both the coaches which you don't always get. That, that's what I loved about you guys. And that, that's what would, would just eat at me the entire offseason. You, you mentioned the Stratford thing in your junior year, and I had, a, I had a similar schematic thing against Marshall in your sophomore year. And it would just eat at me because what really just broke my heart was that, that Stratford example was seeing Jay and Steve Ann mm-hmm. playing 100% effort, doing exactly the way that I coached them, but it was wrong. Right. I didn't put them in the best – even though I wasn't putting them in the best position to be successful, they did it just because they have blind faith and trust and they're coachable. And that's, that was just that, that's why it was so much fun coaching because you guys were so coachable. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, in the off season, I just swore, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not gonna let that happen again. So I, I you know, like, a lot of study, a lot of just discussion with coach Dober and coach Hammond and how we want to uh, approach it differently the following season. And, um, but yeah, man, I, I vividly, I'll never forget that. And that was just to, just to see them doing it exactly like, like as they were told, even though it wasn't, it was right. I was basically let them off a cliff is the way that I kind of beat myself up over that, you know, right. but you learn, man, you, you, you learn, you make the corrections and it didn't happen again the next year. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but, the, but I think the important thing is that you were self-aware enough to say, okay, I messed this one up. Let me fix it. Many right people i think say nope my way is the right way you have to be better like it's their fault it's somebody else's fault you were willing to take the blame and say look guys i messed up on that one my bad let me fix it and so then when you used to call us out or coach dober coach ham the coach favorite used to call us out we were like all right we'll fix the problem you know yeah. this sort of like nah, you don't know what you're talking about get out of here you know we didn't have that dismissiveness we all were trying to really learn together because like you said, we were all in the mission together to try to be better, to try to be successful as a defense, as a collective. You know, another thing, when, when you have a coach, maybe with like my, if, you, if, if people are listening to this and they're thinking about getting into coaching, mm-hmm. you know, with my kind of style of coaching, which I would say is kind of a positive player's coach style, you do have to run the risk of your players getting too comfortable. I know you kind of right. talked to Cameron Townsend about that a little bit in one of your episodes with, with some of his coaches at UT at certain times. And, that, that's a real thing, you know, and so I was aware of that. And, and Coach Sniffen did a great job of that, you know, of, of being aware of that, that possible dynamic of the, how loose we were uh, and the way we went about our business is that you, that is a risk. And so I remember I just felt like I'm going to treat them with respect, but at the same time, I have to be very vigilant about little things and holding the standard. So, for instance, I remember we used to do that pursuit drill, you know, where you guys would have to like hit your chest and you'd have to we had a rabbit and everybody would have to touch the rabbit, right? You know, when I say rabbit, for people listening, it's like a, a runner that goes down the sideline. And you have you know, to catch it. Not an actual rabbit. It's a, it's a player that's running on the sideline and everybody's got to tag him. And, and I just remember. You have to do it again. And I hated it. But that's the thing, though. Because what, hap- what ends up happening, Obi, when you get into coaching is like, there may always be like the one kid that has to run the farthest something. He may loaf and come very close to touching, but just 
not touch. And I just made sure, like, if, if it was, even if it's like basically they had them, yeah. you just got to do it again. Yes. And that's, a, that, that's where I just, that's the thing. Young, if you're going to be a positive style coach, you also have to make sure to hold them accountable, hold the line, hold the line right? You know, so that's something I try to uh, be cognizant of. Yes. No, it's a great point because I think that is uh, a factor that uh, we all kind of understood that, look, this dude, you know, will go out, he'll get in trouble, he'll get yelled at for us. So we can't take his niceness for granted. And I don't think we did. And, um, I don't think so either. Yeah. And uh, like I mean, every said, now and then there was, a, I mean, like we talked about one, one of our other conversations, sometimes I would get upset if it got too loose, like in the weight room. Yeah. And I remember throwing a clipboard and breaking it one time, you know, stuff like that. So every now and then you, you <laughs> got to drop the hammer, but with a great group of kids like you guys, it was few and far between. And it, it was, it, it, it worked. And it was one of my greatest joys, you know, is just being a part of that. Yes. And, and, you know, the last thing, like you said, is just being able to hold us accountable. We knew you would hold us accountable. So it's not like we goofed off or at least we wouldn't intentionally try to do it. It was like, OK, yeah, exactly. Got you got too comfortable, right? You're having fun. Everybody's joking around. And so sometimes it's natural to slip. Yeah. And so I just had to really watch <laughs> to make yeah, sure. Watch the slip thing. You know. Sniffing did a good job of being, you know, the sort of bad cop and you play the good cop because at the time right. we, wouldn't, we wouldn't really understand it. Like we would be having fun and then we go out to practice and then it was like Coach Sniffer comes and yells at us and we're thinking like, dude, what, what is the problem? And you would always, you would never try, you would always try to prevent us from turning on him. It was like, no, let's just focus and lock in. We were playing around and then let's just do what we got to do. And so I think that was a, also a good dynamic of having a good cop, bad cop and, you know, you understanding the type of group we had. And, you know, and, I, and to Coach Sniffin's credit, I thought that was good coaching, you know, and I that's another thing I would just I would recommend to people is just kind of check your ego at the door. For sure. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say it was easy to take the butt chewings from from coach I and mean, he's a <laughs> guy, you know, and uh, but I think I understood my role. Yeah. And the greater picture. Of, and I, I'm just always kind of been a, a team oriented person. And so I I felt like I would I felt OK with being um uh, you know, in, in that role or that kind of, I don't know if I say sacrificial lamb, you know, but, but taking that heat because it needed, I, you know, what, what he was trying to do was elevate our level of intensity. Yes. And that's what he was really good at. Yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, I think coach Sniffin, and I don't know if he's going to listen to the podcast, but I mean, I think he's one of the most underrated head coaches in the state person, in my opinion. And now I'm someone that I, I have gone on to kind of I cover high school football games as, as my hobby now because it's, it's a passion of mine now that I'm no longer in coaching. And, you know, when you, when you hear about the coach across the state, he doesn't maybe get the same due, and he's, his record's impeccable. Right. You know, the resume is impeccable, what he did at Ridgepoint and uh, what he'll do at Belton, you know. So I, anyway, just to, to that particular instance, like that, that's my advice to people. Even if your boss, your leader is maybe kind of – coming at you hard as, you know, some type of way that you know, maybe you're not used to or comfortable with. Yeah. Um, I still say you got to understand levels of authority, you know? Uh, and, and of course it, it, he never crossed any kind of line with me that was just where it got, you know, at a certain point, if it got dangerous or something, or, you know, you, you need to say something. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying just take anything, but I understood his method. Yeah. I think, I think for a lot of people, it might turn them off or make them feel, but that, that's why he was doing it. You know, he was, a, he was just great at challenging people, yeah. you know, cause it, that, I think I honestly, I, I never be able to, maybe I can talk to him next time I see him, but I, I wonder if some of that was intentional, mm -hmm. like I'm going to get on these guys 
And I'm going to, I bet you they're going to raise their level. I bet you they're going to be, they're not going to like their coach getting yelled at like that. And they're going to play harder. And that's what he wanted. And that's what helped us win football games, you know? And I'm glad he did that because again, like I said, with my, with my style, there, there could have been a room for a little bit of complacency or, you know, too much fun. Yeah. And he, I think he was a great counterbalance to that where we had that perfect mix to just get the best performance out of you guys. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, it's always hindsight of 2020. You know, you, you understand. You don't it, understand right? it then, right? But now that yeah. you look back on it, you may think, look at it a little differently. Yeah, because, I mean, even me reflecting back and you know, as I got older and as I, you know, stopped playing football and I would, you know, be around younger players who were playing at Bridgepoint especially, you know, they'd come visit me or they'd come see me or they'd be like, hey, I recognize you, blah, 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 blah. And they would ask me, you know, what did you think of Coach Smith and what did you think of Coach Kobo or blah, 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 you know, things of that nature. And I'm like, you won't understand Coach Smithin when you're playing, or you may not, but understand that he has your best interest in, at heart. And that was something I can honestly say, like, at the end, I'm like, well, you know, yeah, Coach Smithin was tough on us. But then, like you said, like, Coach Kobo was a nice coach or, you know, player-friendly coach. And then seeing it happen in, like, professional sports even, or, like, seeing other teammates go on and play in college, it's like, yeah, this coach was too nice and he didn't get the buy-in from the collective. It's like, okay. There needs to be that bad cop on every. Step. Well, the funny thing, the funny thing is, if you ever got to know, like, if you like, we have our, we we all know each other outside of like that. You guys would never know, right? Because we're adults and we're coworkers, you know. And if you ever knew Coach Sniffin, like, outside, <laughs> he's a really nice guy. You know what I mean? Like, but he was just so good at flipping that switch yeah. to do what he had to do, you know, to get the level up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and every every person is is different, you know. Um, Every, every leader has a different style, and that, that's the style he chose to do, you know, to try to better his team. And so I, I, I supported 100%, you know, and I, I really respected um, all everything he accomplished. 